everybody. It's good to be here again. I, I love getting to, to do this. I love the opportunity that we have to just pray together and to be one as a family. And I always like to start off just by giving honor to Pastor Monty. I know that he would never ask for this, but I'm so grateful that we have a pastor who, who loves us and cares for us the way that he does, the way that he prays for you, the way that he just thinks about you every second of every day. We, some of us, we get texts you know, late at night from Pastor Monty because he's got something on his mind that he, he wants to do to, to make this place better for you. So can we just honor Pastor Monty together today? Thank you, Pastor Monty. And I don't do that just to suck up to Monty. I love, that, I love that I get the opportunity to be here because this really stretches me. It really helps me to grow. And I think that it's really cool that, like, Pastor Monty gets to take his son Jake and his family to Chicago, and Jake's getting to see his first ever concert with Red Hot Chili Peppers. I know that's, that's really important to him. So it's really cool that he's able to do that. And, and I love that I get to step in and that he trusts me to be here when he's not. So it's really, it's just cool. That what God does through us, man, it's, it's amazing. It's miraculous. Um, and I, I say that because one of the most miraculous things that God has done for me is, is allow me, I, I was just here on Thursday, we were fixing this projector. And, and before Benji, who actually fixed a projector, let's give Benji some praise for doing that. Thank you, Benji. But before Benji got here, I have to say that I did go up on this giant ladder all the way up there, which is a huge fear of mine, a fear of heights. I hate heights. I hate going up on, on tall stuff where I have the chance to fall down. And the reason for that is because, I don't know if, if you, how many of you have a fear of heights in this place? Come on, it's got to be plenty of us. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure that I know when my fear of heights was originated. I'm pretty sure I can remember the exact day. I don't remember like day, month, year. But I was a youngster in basketball, and uh, it, was, it was such a, I can't, I still can't believe it, even recounting this story. The coaches that we had, it was probably like second or third grade, so I'm like nine or ten years old. And the coaches are trying to teach us how to, how to dribble without staring at the ground, right? So they put a, they put a blindfold over our eyes, and, and which, yeah, wow, that's already, wow, just wait, it gets better. So... At the YMCA in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I was learning the, the tricks and the trades of basketball, of hooping, uh, there was a track like 15 feet above the, these basketball courts, and it stretched around the entire room, but it was high up in the air, and, and it looked pretty daunting when you're up there because at the edge of the track, there's just a like a aluminum fence or whatever that is. Just a, it's just a dingy old fence that was probably put in there 100 years ago when the building was built. So we're up on this track as, again, nine or 10-year-old kids learning how to dribble without looking at the ground. And I'm just, I'm dribbling the ball. I've got a blindfold on. And what is my natural, my natural bent? As you're going around a track, you're going to your left. And, and I'm constantly running into this stupid fence. And every time I ran into the fence, I felt like I was going to fall to my death. I mean, I felt like I was going to fall down. I felt like there's got to be like a crack in this fence or there's got to be a door or some kind of gate that goes down that I'm, of course, going to run into and fall out. And I'm pretty positive that's where I developed my fear of heights. So we got to give kudos to the youth basketball coaches of the day who really didn't know what they were doing, of course. But the reason that I tell you that is because I think in a lot of ways, like, we kind of put ourselves in those similar positions in our everyday life, Right? And what I'm talking about is, is that we kind of voluntarily walk close to the edge. We kind of live close to the edge in, in our pride and our hubris and arrogance, even if you want to call it that. We kind of just walk 
close to the edge every single day, blindfolded, just believing that I'm not going to fall. I know exactly where I'm at. I know that I'm, I'm close to the edge, but I'm not going to fall off the side. And I hope that I'm making you super nervous walking this close to the edge of the stage because that's my goal. But this is kind of how we tend to live our everyday lives, right? And even with God at our side a lot of times, like we, we sing, I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But a lot of times we just continually walk close to the edge instead of letting him lead us away from the edge and toward his presence. And so this is what I want to talk about today. These first two weeks of this new series that we're in have been incredible, haven't they? I mean, God's done some amazing things. He's teaching us amazing things about the kind of people that we want to have in our lives and the kind of people that we, we should be confessing our sins to. But I know this is true. Temptation is a killer that we can't face alone. We need people in our lives. We need people like we learned about two weeks ago, people that love God more than they love us, people that are willing to push us, pray for us, encourage us. We need people in our lives that we can confess to, amen? You need people in your life that you can trust with your deepest, darkest secrets. Essentially, my message today is kind of a combination of the first two that have been preached in this series. The first one is about having godly friends in our lives. The second one is about confession. What I want to talk about today is accountability. It's kind of like a, the best combination of those two things. And what is, what is accountability? What does that mean? I think one thing that we need to know about accountability, and if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. <laughs> accountability is not just sin management, Right? Accountability is not just sin management. It's expecting the best in others. Expect the best in others. Expect the best in yourself. We need people who bring out the best in us, people who are willing to ask us, what are we expecting from God in our own lives? And I think it's so important. And I wrote these things down, and I felt like it was the Spirit really convicting me in the moment, but I'm going to add this we language because I think it's for all of us in here today. If we don't have any accountability in our lives, I would argue that we're probably not doing anything to advance the kingdom of God. And I would also say, if we don't have accountability in our lives and we're not doing anything to advance the kingdom of God, you're probably not doing anything that's worth the devil getting in the way of, right? And I think there's a lot of value in knowing that. And a long time ago, I read this book called The Screwtape Letters, by C.S. Lewis. I don't know, how many of you know who C.S. Lewis is? Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, big fan. Uh, C.S. Lewis was, was brilliant. And he was an amazing, amazing mind. And he loved the Lord. And he wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters, which is kind of, it's kind of an eye-opener, really. It's a fictional book. And it, it's these letters going back and forth between a demon who's known as the uncle. And it's another demon in training known as the nephew. And these two demons... The uncle is basically just kind of mentoring the, the nephew, right? And the nephew has a subject, and the subject is this man. And the man, throughout the course of this, you know, back and forth of the letters, the man starts going to church. And the nephew writes to his uncle. He's, he's super concerned about it because he's a demon, right? He doesn't want the guy going to church. He's like, uncle, like we're in bad shape right now. The, the, the subject, that's what he calls him, the subject is going to church. Like this is not good. And the uncle calmly writes him back and says, oh, you don't need to worry about the subject going to a church. You don't need to worry about it because eventually he's going to keep going to the church every single week. He's going to sit in the pews and he's going to sing out of the hymnals. And eventually he's going to forget why he's there in the first place. 
And that's the perspective of a demon. And I'm not saying to build your theology off the screw tape letters, but I think that there's definitely some value in knowing that, right? That even the devil and his demons don't care that we're here right now. Because for a lot of us, this can just be habitual. This can just be something that we do to, to please our spouse or to, to save face with people that we know in our lives to say, yeah, I went to church this weekend, and to really just people please instead of please the Lord. So what do we need to do? Well, I would say we need accountability. We need expectability. We need people in our lives that are willing to expect the best out of us because that's what God expects. God expects nothing less than our best, especially and, and really pretty much only if you have said, I, I'm going to follow Jesus. I choose that I want to surrender my life to him and give everything to him. And scripture is full of verses that talk about accountability, the importance of accountability, that talks about the importance of us growing and, and how much responsibility we have. I want to read a few of them to you, just kind of one after the other, so we get an idea. And I'm not taking any of these out of context. These are all in the context of how important accountability is in our lives. Some of you probably know a lot of these. Psalm, or Proverbs 27, 17, a very popular verse. Maybe you didn't even know this was in Scripture. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Isn't that another important reason why we pray together in the church? That's so cool. I love that we do that. And we learned that last week, really, confessing and how important that is that Jesus doesn't just want us to be forgiven. He wants us to be fully healed, and that's what he does. He forgives and he heals. It's all-encompassing, mind, body, spirit. Luke 12, 48 from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Psalm 141.5, I read this yesterday in my daily reading. This was so good. It says, let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it's soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. I think that's such a great picture of what accountability looks like coming back the other way, right? Don't let me refuse that kindness that is the godly striking me with correction and then you have, of course you have spider-man 1 9 with great power comes great responsibility right actually i think it was uncle ben who said that but it, it, it's all there i mean we we get it right it's in the secular world it's in the it's in the christian world but the most important thing that we need to know today and this is this is something that has impacted my life so greatly it's one of the simplest verses in all of scripture i feel and it's something that's so profound, something that's so life-changing that I, I can't get it out of my head. If there's any verse besides John 3.16 that I have memorized, it's 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, which says very simply, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the title of today's message. Turn to somebody on your left and your right in front or behind and tell them, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the, that's the title today. Oh, that's, a, that's a dangerous thing to say. Be careful. The question that I want us to ask ourselves today is, can you actually say that about your life? I, I know I struggle with that. Every time I read this passage, every time I think about it, I struggle. Can I actually say, follow me as I follow Christ? And I've made that, I've really made that a goal in my life is to be able to say that accurately. And I think, and we're going to unpack this a little bit later and talk about it a little bit more. I think that statement can kind of seem super arrogant, right? 
I mean, if you're, if you're walking up to somebody in this place, even in this place, even at church, and they're telling you, yeah, follow me as I follow Christ, that, that's going to seem very, I mean, they're, they're putting themselves on a pedestal, right? They're, they're living in such a way that, well, they must be, you know, they must be just perfect, you know? But if you're truly following Jesus, isn't that the goal? Complete obedience, complete surrender, completely devoting everything that you have to him, letting him transform you by the renewing of your mind and changing the way that you think, changing the way that you live, changing the way that you act, changing the way that you look at people, changing the way that you listen to people, changing the way that you do everything and hear everything and see everything. I don't know if you know this, but but English is not God's first language. He speaks in a, a very different way. And so in order to be able to understand the language of heaven, the language that God speaks, what do you got to do? You got to talk to him. You got to listen. You got to be obedient. You got to surrender everything. Are you truly following Christ or are you following the MBT, the me Bible translation, right? We hear things on Sunday mornings. We, we heard enough scripture growing up, so I don't really need to I don't really need to change a lot about what I'm doing. I've heard enough scripture. I've been in enough church groups. I've been to enough Christian concerts. I've done enough to be able to safely say that I'm living a good life. But we know when we hear this all the time, right? Good people don't go to heaven, do they? Safe people go to heaven. And there's really no good people, right? Even Jesus, when somebody said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus say? He's like, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And that's so true. We can't live a good life, especially apart from Christ. But with him, we can do amazing things. And I truly believe it, and I'll say this, I'll say this until probably the day that I die. It's a statement that sticks with me, and it's a statement that I hope sticks with you today, too. Humility is the way forward. There's no other way to advance the kingdom of God besides taking the humble position of a servant to Christ and surrendering everything to him, living a life of obedience. If you're living obedient only to yourself and only the way that you understand scripture and only the way that that we perceive who God is, that's called experiential faith. And what it does is it puts a ceiling on what God can do in our lives because we're only willing to go past a certain point of our understanding. But if you let him transform your mind, he can do miraculous things through you. The way, that I, the way that I look at humility and, and having no accountability in, in my life is like, if I'm going into a battlefield, let's just picture like, just like a super archaic battlefield where there's bows and arrows and, and big shields and those types of things. Let's just say no accountability is the same thing as you going rogue and running out into the battlefield as these flaming arrows are coming directly at you with no armor, no shield, no shoes on, no helmet, no nothing. What's going to happen? You're going to get hit. You're going you're gonna to die on the battlefield. And I don't know about you, but I mean, those who die on the battlefield, they can't, come, they can't get back into the game. And Jesus himself even warned, like, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you're not, if you're not producing fruit in your life, those branches get cut off. And thankfully, he's a God of second chances, and, and thankfully, he's allowing us the opportunity to be here today. And I just, I want us to, to really dwell on that question, like, is that the example that you want others to follow in your life? Is the example of running out onto the battlefield, basically naked, basically oblivious to the fact that flaming arrows are coming directly at you, is that the example that you want followed in your life? Is that the example that Jesus set, right? He didn't set that kind of example. Follow me as I follow Christ. 
And even the pillars of the church had to be held accountable. And this is kind of where we're going to park for a little bit today. And, and the pillars of the church, what I'm talking about is the disciples, the people that were there from the beginning, the people who encountered Jesus, the people who were around Jesus. There's this amazing story in Acts chapter 10. And, and Peter is the subject of the story. Peter is, is actually named Peter, which means the rock. He's named the rock because Jesus told him, on this rock, I will build my church. And so Peter, who was kind of like, you know, if I could say this, maybe the more arrogant of Jesus' disciples, he was very bold. Let's put it that way. He was very bold. He was very bold, and he was also very forthcoming. Like, he wasn't afraid to say things that was going to offend somebody. And, and so Jesus wasn't afraid to say things to Peter that would offend him as well. Jesus, who, who called Peter the rock, also called him at one point, he called him Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan. So Peter has this foundation of humility Peter has this foundation of boldness and faith that Jesus knew he's got to be the fire. He's got to be the fire to keep the fire going for thousands and thousands of generations. But Peter was human. And I think a lot of times we tend to dehumanize scripture. But in his humanity, Peter made a mistake. Peter made the mistake of really, he stopped believing that the good news of Jesus Christ was for everybody. And I don't know that he necessarily stopped believing it, but he stopped living like he believed it. He stopped living like he believed it because he started to get used to, at the time, in Acts chapter 10, which we're going to unpack here in just a little bit, at the time, some of the Pharisees were starting to come to faith. And as the Pharisees were coming to faith, Peter started to kind of have his mind and the way that he thought changed a little bit by the way that they thought. They were trying to bring in these old Jewish customs and really force the non-Jewish people to live and act a certain way before they could receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And so God has to kind of smack Peter in the face. God has to smack Peter in the face with a revelation. He actually, in, in Acts chapter 10, it goes through this whole story about how Peter, he's hungry and, and they're making lunch, but he goes up to the roof of this house that they're at to pray. And while he's praying, he's transported to, a, to the heavenly realm. He's not just given a vision, but he's actually transported into a new realm. And so as he's in this new realm, Peter gets this crazy vision from heaven of this white sheet full of animals of, of, of many different kinds coming down. And essentially what happens here, and I want to read straight from it, as these reptiles and wild birds and all these four-footed animals are coming down on the sheet, it's floated down and a voice says to him, Peter, go and prepare for them to be eaten. Peter replied, there's no way that I could do that, Lord, for I've never eaten anything forbidden or impure according to our Jewish laws. And the voice speaks again, and somebody's got to hear this today. Nothing is unclean if God declares it to be clean. And Peter needed to hear that. Why? Because he started to believe that these non-Jewish people, these Gentiles, were unclean unless he essentially said so. Unless the people that were religious scholars who were now joining the church, unless they said so. And so then what happened is later on, Peter has this revelation. He's very impacted by it. He goes into the, to the home of this Roman, uh, Roman captain, a captain of the Roman military, and he essentially gives them the gospel, and he reveals to them what God did for him. And he says, you know, and this is verse 28 from Acts chapter 10, by the way, so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Acts chapter 10, you can go there and you can take a look at this. Acts chapter 10, verse 28, it says, Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this to associate you, with you. He's, he's like basically saying, like, I shouldn't be here right now, according to our laws and according to our customs. 
He says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Isn't it interesting that Peter, who walked with Jesus, who undoubtedly heard Jesus' great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, Peter heard this, and all of a sudden, after he has this crazy heavenly experience, he's like, God has revealed to me. It's like, how fickle can we be in our minds? Peter got to literally see Jesus. He got to walk with Jesus. He got to hear him speak in person. And yet he still struggled with these ideas. He still struggled with having to be obedient to the law rather than being obedient to the one who created it. So Peter goes back to Antioch, which is uh, an ancient city back at that time. He goes back to Antioch, and he immediately goes back to doing what he used to do again. He, he's once again failing. Peter, I think Peter needed, a lot of times, he needed things to happen in threes, right? I mean, he had this vision three times. Peter had to hear the rooster crow three times. He had to tell Jesus, I love you, three times when Jesus was on the beach after he had resurrected. So Peter had to have things happen a lot of times in threes. So after Peter has already reverted to, you know, requiring a lot of the non-Jewish people, and then he's been corrected by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, he goes back one more time, and he starts living this life again, where he's kind of acting like a Gentile when he's hanging with the Gentiles, and then he's going back and hanging out with his new Pharisee buddies, and he's kind of acting like a Pharisee, acting like these Gentile people don't matter to him, or that they're, that they're not welcome, or that they're less than. And so Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul wrote he, many, many letters to churches, and a lot of it is what we read every single weekend here at Meadows Church. I mean, you can go through a number of different scriptures in the New Testament. Paul wrote a lot of it. And, and Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians where he kind of revealed everything that went down with Peter. And he's revealing to us the importance of accountability because Paul and Peter, they had a relationship. They knew each other. They knew each other because Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. I don't know if you've heard that story before. That's, a, that's another message for a different day. But Paul, before he was known as Paul, was known as Saul. And Saul was a Christian killer. Saul was a person that, that basically arrested people who were following Jesus or claiming Jesus as their Savior and brought them to be stoned. And he did this with a, a clear conscience. He thought that he was living the life that God had purpose and plan for him. But God had to stop him as well. God had to show him, hey, Paul, uh, you're, you're not doing the right thing. Or Saul, you're not doing the right thing. And he gives him a new name. And he gives him a new identity. And he changes everything about his life. And so Paul, going to the early church, you can imagine, they might have been a little bit skeptical of this guy that was just recently trying to kill them or trying to have their friends killed. And now he wants to be part of their gathering. It's like, is this guy, you know, is he like a mole or something? Like, what's he trying to do here? You can imagine they were a little bit skeptical. But the Holy Spirit reveals to them that Paul is, he has authority. He has been changed by the Holy Spirit inside and out. And so at this point, Peter and Paul have a relationship, and that's important. We're going to come back to that. But their relational equity is very important in this story because as Peter is living this two-faced life, Paul confronts him. And Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 tells us exactly what happened. Paul says it. He recounts the events. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Note that really quick. Had to oppose him to his face. He didn't talk behind Peter's back to his friends and be like, oh, Peter's such a moron. Can you believe he's doing this again? I can't believe he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be one of the pillars of the church. He shouldn't be called the rock. He wasn't doing that. 
He went directly to Peter's face when he had an issue that he knew the Holy Spirit was convicting him in his heart of. And he goes to Peter's face and he said, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, who insisted on the necessity of ritual, religion. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. So not only is Peter impacting himself, not only is he doing the wrong thing, he's also leading other people to do the wrong thing as well. And this is where accountability has to step in. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So with no accountability, Peter's... Peter is leading people astray. Peter, yeah, how about that? File that one away. Peter is leading others astray. But once the accountability soaks in, and once he listens to Paul and hears Paul correct him, he starts to get back into the will of God. And I think it's important to know that, that Peter had such a great respect for Paul that Peter is actually the one that called Paul's letters to the church. He called the, he, he's the one who called those scripture in the first place. So the reason why Paul's letters, I think, are included in our Bible today is because Peter declared that these are the inspired words of God. And Paul had great respect for Peter as well. How much respect do you have to have for the guy that's called the rock by Jesus himself to go up to his face and say, hey, you're, you're living in a way that you can't. you got to stop. You have to stop doing this. This is not our mission. This is not what we're supposed to be doing. Two completely different people, one who walked on water, Another one who stood on the foundation of, of what he thought was what God had told him to do. A scholar of scripture who was killing Christians. These two guys coming from completely different worlds, intersecting together out of love and humility to really push the church forward. And even Paul had an accountability partner. Paul had Silas. Paul had somebody in his life. Paul wasn't just this vigilante Christian going around accusing others of, hey, this is false doctrine. This is false teaching. This is what you're doing wrong. This is that. Paul had authority to do those kinds of things, but people like Peter had to give him permission because I, I don't know if you know this, Peter was very powerful in the Holy Spirit. Peter did miracles and saw things that, my gosh, I, I mean, I hope we get to see even a fraction in our lifetime. I hope we get to see the same and greater as Jesus promised, actually. We shouldn't sell God any short. But Peter got to see these amazing things and they had respect for each other, but Peter had to be told, I mean, this is years after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. This is years after he's given the Great Commission to go and make disciples and to, to, to lead people into grace and mercy and love that only comes through me. This is years after Jesus told him to do that. Years. And Peter has to be corrected because on Sunday morning, how many of you know, we can be saints. On Sunday morning, we come into this place, we worship, we gather together, we learn, we pray, we do all these good things. But then by Sunday afternoon, we're living a completely different life. Living a completely different life. We're like chameleons blending in to our, to our environment. Instead of loving Jesus wholeheartedly and surrendering to him, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. What does that look like? I mean, Paul got to a point in his life where he could confidently say this and, and confidently write it to a, a church full of people that love Jesus. I love that. And I want to bring this up again because I think it's so crucial that oftentimes with a statement like this, we mistake it as arrogant. You mistake a statement that Paul is making here, follow me as I follow Christ, like, well, Paul, is, he's a certain way. Like, he was, he was obviously healed on the road to Damascus. Jesus set him free. He covered his eyes, and he, he, he gave him sight again, and he did all these crazy things through Paul. Like, 
Paul had every reason to be able to write this. Like, he was different than me. I'm not, I'm not Paul. I'm not worthy to be able to say this, right? I don't live a life that I can accurately say, follow me as I follow Christ. Is that really your mindset today? And I pray that every single one of us gets to a point where we can truly say, I love another version that, that gives this verse, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Another version says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I think that's so powerful just to think of it that way, that Christ set an example that's, I mean, Jesus, he did things that we could never do, but at the same time, he set an example for us to live by so that we could follow him and do the same things and even greater. That's what he said. You'll do the same and greater than I've done. And, and I just wonder, like, what does that look like? And how did Paul set that example? Follow me as I follow Christ. He got to a point in his life where he could say this confidently, not out of arrogance, but out of a posture of surrender, out of a posture of obedience. Who do you have in your life that's keeping you in check? Who's showing you your blind spots? Who's asking you what you watched last night? Who's keeping you away from the edge, right? Who's asking you about why you're throwing away your marriage and your relationship with your kids so that you can get drunk with your friends? Do you have somebody that's helping you be a better spouse? Do you have somebody in your life that's helping you to be a better friend? Do you have anybody pushing you towards next steps? Do you have anybody pushing you to higher expectations than you have for yourself? To truly believe about yourself that, that I can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, I'm living the example. At least I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing the best that I can. We all have blind spots. And I think to a degree, we're all creatures of habit, right? And what happens in, in habits, I mean, we get used to doing the same thing over and over and over again. And nobody, in my opinion... And I'll say this, I think that nobody in this life is so driven that they can do life alone. I'll say that again. I think none of us, none of us are so driven that we can do life alone. And I, I knew that I, when we moved here from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I needed a, a dose of humility. So five years ago, me and my family, we came with Pastor Monty and a number of others to move to Omaha. And essentially, this was something that I, I had never, never even close to done in my life. Like, I lived at home during college. I, I was very much a home person. Like, I didn't want to leave Sioux Falls to come here. And I felt, upon moving here, I was feeling pretty good about my faith walk. I was feeling pretty good about where I had taken myself, right? Like, I uprooted my family. I left my job. My wife left her job. We sold a house that we had just bought three years before. And I was coming here with no job. Like, I came here without any sort of stability or any sort of guarantee of what was to come next. So I was feeling really good about where things were at in my life, and yet the Holy Spirit kept convicting me, you can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. You can't just show up on Sunday mornings and play your guitar and sing and just expect that God's gonna continue to just let these people sprout up in your life because that's exactly what I had done in Sioux Falls. I had just continually just done my role. I played my part. Like I, I felt like I was doing my, doing my part to advance the kingdom just by showing up, just by my presence. And that's such a, that, that is such a posture of arrogance and pride and not humility to think that I could just show up every single week and that God was just gonna continue to let people sprout up in my life and that I would be able to impart to them this great wisdom that he's given me and all the things that I had done. But when I got here to Omaha, I knew that I needed to humble myself and I needed to go and get into a group like we've been talking about all throughout this series. So I, I was, I was gung-ho about it. Like we started our own life group and I also joined Pete's men's group on, I believe it was Monday nights at the time. And one of the first few meetings that we had, it might have been in the first couple months, I don't remember exactly when it was, 
But we kind of decided as a life group that we needed accountability, that we needed people in our lives that could sharpen us, that could, that could help us to grow, help us to be better. And there was this guy that you just met a little bit ago named Brandon who started coming to the group, and, and Brandon and I are very different in a lot of ways. And so after one of the groups one night, Brandon walks up to me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I know he's going to ask me to be accountability. Like, I was dreading it because I, I also am very introverted. I also don't necessarily love to, like, pour my heart out to people and be vulnerable in that way. So I was kind of nervous about doing accountability in the first place. But when Brandon asked me, he said something that really, really struck me in the moment. He was like, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember his exact words, but he was like, you and me are basically completely the opposite. And he's like, I feel like I could learn something from you and I feel like you could learn something from me. And I was like, dang, that's such a great way to, that's such a great way to put it. Like, how could I have possibly said no to that? And that's something that's so important about accountability is that it's a two-way street, right? This isn't just about somebody pulling you back every time you get close to the edge and pulling on your shirt and being like, no, 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 you gotta stay away from the edge. You gotta stay away and pulling you back. It's not just about that. It's about you also being that person to tug them back and to say, hey, let's keep going back towards the mountaintop. Let's keep climbing, let's keep going, let's keep pushing, let's keep pressing. So Brandon and I started doing accountability and it was great. I mean, it's, it's kind of awesome to do accountability with someone you just met, especially if you know that they love the Lord and they're pursuing a relationship, a stronger relationship with Jesus because I think the, the less that somebody knows you, almost, you know, the more you're, you feel free to kind of share with them. Just like, this is where I've been, like this is my story, this is kind of what I struggle with. So Brandon and I start sharing before one of our other life groups on Wednesday night. And all of a sudden, that group of accountability grows to, like, at, at times, five or six guys sitting there just talking about the things that we struggle with, the things that we look at, the times that we yelled at our kids, the times that we yelled at our spouse, the things that we wish we had never done in our past, the things that we wish we could take back, but we can't. The things that only God can heal us from. And we start sharing. And then a couple years ago, we started a purpose group together. And Brandon and I are now doing accountability with these two other guys. And a year later, Brandon and I both start our own purpose groups. And now he's doing accountability with other guys, and I'm doing accountability with three other guys. And I just can't stress enough how important it is not just to have people who will point out your blind spots, not just people who will hold you accountable to reading your word daily, doing the right thing, but people who will press you and push you to refining yourself and being able to actively and accurately say, follow me as I follow Christ. I feel like, I feel like at this point in my life, like, I still, I still cringe at even saying that out loud, but I gotta get to that point where I don't feel cringy saying it. That's something that I need accountability for as well. And you heard Pastor Monty talk about it a couple weeks ago. We gotta start being friendlier to ourselves. Like, I would say to any number of people, like, absolutely, you can get to a point in your life where you could say, follow me as I follow Christ. And then here I sit thinking about myself, thinking about my own mistakes, thinking about the things that I wish I'd never done, thinking about the mistakes that I still make today and that I'm gonna make tomorrow. And I don't claim the blood of Jesus over my sins, past, present, and future because I'm so much more willing to defeat myself and to say, you know what? You're not worthy today. You might be worthy tomorrow to say it, but you're not worthy enough today. And the reality is, is that never changes. You're worthy because Jesus says that you are. 
if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see the things that you wish you never did. He doesn't see the things that you wish you could take back, the thing that you said last night, the thing that you watched last week, the addiction that you can't break. He doesn't see that. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And there's such a freedom in that. There's such a freedom in knowing that he doesn't see you the way that you see you. And he wants you so bad to see yourself the way that he sees you. If nobody knows your secret sins, they'll kill you from the inside out. But, but the Holy Spirit can make you alive and give life to everybody around you. And once again, accountability is a two-way street. Somebody needs you to do this for them just as much as you need it from them. I think that's such an important thing to realize is that a lot of times we don't step into accountability because we think, oh, I don't need it. And that's, that's a mindset that's only looking for, through one lens directly back at yourself. But accountability is important for the other person. Just think about all the times that we've said no to accountability. Who else is missing out on that? It's so important. It's so important that we step in. We need people in our lives to keep us away from the edge. But not just that, we need people that will guide us, like I said, back to that mountain where we keep climbing closer and closer to Jesus every single day. We need people in our lives that we can confess to when we screw up. Somebody that's gonna be like, you know what? Yeah, you did screw up, but guess what? The grace of God is greater. We need people in our lives that can push us to have good habits, not just people that will help us to eliminate our bad ones, but that will push us to good ones, right? We need people in our lives that can help keep us humble, that can tell us when we're living in such a way where we think we know the word, we think we know what God wants for our lives, but we have blind spots, and we start to live in such a way where it's the MBT, right? The Me Bible Translation. We need people in our lives that can give us a different perspective. We need people in our lives that can tell us when we're in the wrong, when we think that we're right. We need people to, we, we need to stop poisoning our own lives. And we need people to show us. And we need people who love God. We need people that are full of the Holy Spirit. And most, maybe most importantly, you gotta have people that are willing not just to tell you what you want to hear, but things that you need to hear. That's so important in accountability that you don't just hear what you want to hear, that you hear what you need to hear and that you're able to do that for somebody else as well. Like there's people that need to hear from, from me as well. There's people that need to hear from each of us, our perspective on things. For some of you today, that first step is going to be really just, it's going to be the simplest one and yet the most important. It's following Jesus it's doing what Paul did and, and completely changing course, turning direction, believing, like I said, believing about yourself that you have a different identity in Jesus. Paul wrote about this in, in such a profound way. He says that I was co-crucified with Jesus and resurrected as somebody new. You're not who you used to be in Christ. So if that's you today, you wanna surrender everything, repent of your old ways, turn to Jesus, turn to his goodness, accept it, receive it. I can't encourage you enough to mark that decision on your green connect cards on the chair backs because that's the way that we really know that something's happening. That's what we celebrate every single week, at least one salvation, I feel like. And that's amazing here at Meadows Church that the, that the spirit of God is moving in that way in this place. But the way that we know that is by you marking it down. So I, I can't encourage you enough to mark that down on the sheet 
Maybe for some of you today, if you've already made that decision to follow Jesus, that today is gonna be the day that you go out into the welcome area like Rachel talked about and sign up for a life group. And, and Brandon and Liz, they talked about their marriage group. That's gonna be on the sign-up sheet as well. So if you wanna do something with your spouse, sign up for that life group and, and, and do that. But take that next step, get into a life group. And for, for those of you that are already in a life group, maybe the next step is really seeking out that person that you're gonna be accountable with. Seeking out that person that you can do life together with. Seeking out that person that's gonna help refine you and not just manage your sin, but expect the best out of you because God expects the best out of us. Whatever it is that is your next step today, I'm just praying that the spirit is working and moving in your heart and I'm praying that, that he does something miraculous here in this moment. So let's go to him and just surrender everything in this moment, your attention, whatever you got going on after this, just surrender your worry about the time right now. I know what time it is. I got a watch on my wrist this time. But God, I just thank you that no matter what, Jesus, we can come before you. I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to receive grace, to receive your goodness. I thank you for anybody that's in this place right now who's making that decision to say, I, I know that I need to follow Jesus. I need him in my life. I need him to fill this void that's been there for so long. I need you. And Jesus, I just pray that they know right now that you want them, that you want them regardless of their past, regardless of what they've done or what's been done to them, regardless of the choices that they've made. It's not about where we've been or even what we're gonna do today or what we're gonna do tomorrow. It's about where we're going with you. Jesus, I just pray that you, you just hit somebody in this place with the revelation of how much you love them today. Give us faith. Embolden us, Jesus. Give us the courage to take a next step today. Give us the courage to do something that we could never do apart from you. We need you. We love you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.